Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Uh, For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Did you mean me or our listeners? Both. Oh, great. Mostly mostly you because I'm talking to you. (laughs) Oh, great. Yeah, Yeah, that's Uh true. There's no one else in the room, folks. Uh, Each week we bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for more just society. Yes, that's correct. And we want interdependent study to be a space we're always learning with one another. Damien, you're up this week. Yes. Uh, what do you bring to the table today? Uh, yes, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's the question you always ask me. Uh, I don't no. know why. <laughs> we're doing great today, everybody. Um, <laughs> I have brought a couple of pieces to the table for us to talk about today. I'm super excited about this episode. Uh, these pieces are all about unions, right? And I have really wanted an opportunity for us to continue our learning work about unions. And so today's the day we get to make that happen. Uh, the first piece we read for today is called What You Need to Know About Gen Z's Support for Unions. It was written by Aurelia Glass, published by the Center for American Progress. And the second piece was called Why Labor's Surging Popularity Isn't Translating into Union Membership, uh, written by Emily Peck and Nathan Bomey, uh, and was published in Axios. Um, and I think both of these pieces provided us with a few things, right? Certainly one of them was a great introduction to why unions are are important. Um, They also, I think, gave us a really good picture of Generation Z's support of unions, right? Both Mm -hmm. in terms of the numbers and in terms of the why behind their support, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Um, And they also gave us a look at sort of the ills of capitalism, right? And, And corporate greed and why that really, we really need to sort of address those things. Corporate greed has to be curtailed in some way. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about our conversation yeah. today. These are, these are great pieces. I think mm-hmm. there's lots to talk about. Um, where do you want to start? What's that out to you? Yeah, these were two great articles that, that had a lot of information, as you said, about, I think, why unions are important, right. um, especially in sort of curtailing and addressing that corporate greed um, and uh, why support for them is growing. I think it's becoming clearer how much corporate greed exists. Yeah. And drives so much of so many different things. Yes. Um, And so they outline, the articles outline a ton of benefits for joining unions, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about here. Oh, yeah. uh, Including increased access to benefits, higher salaries. And it's great that we're seeing this resurgence in the interest in unions um, because I think it's so important. It's such uh, an important step. in sort of the the response to anti-union sort of movement and activity from the right for so many decades. Yes. Um, it Which feels like this, about, yeah. yeah, it feels like this bigger, this piece of a bigger historical picture where unions were so successful, so people didn't think we needed them as much. Uh, and there were, you know, huge campaigns against the need for unions, including implementation of laws across states that make organizing more difficult, like so-called right to work laws. So it feels like we're coming out the other side of that, realizing that we do need those collective struggles, um, collective structures to negotiate in the struggle with employers on a much larger scale than an individual to an individual, which is 
what the typical employee employer structure kind of is, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I love that. That's a great synopsis of sort of everything that I think was covered in these pieces. And you're right. The, the, the piece about laws as well is such an important piece of this. There's, there was so much work done by corporations on their own, but when you sort of couple that with you know, the the government's influence, right? And co-conspirator <laughs> nature yeah. in this. Um, you know, that's a that's sort of an important piece to recognize around the power of um, or the the rationale for why unions are so important, right? Because these mm-hmm. these entities on their own became so powerful as they work together. So yeah. um yeah, there to me there was just so uh, much in these pieces that was fascinating and illuminating for me. You mentioned that we should talk about the benefits of unions uh, and I, we should totally do that. But uh, something else you said I want to talk about first, one of the things that stood out to me in these pieces uh, was, you know, the rationale for why joining unions and, and organizing the workplace has been so difficult, right? And and this mm-hmm. piece about corporate greed, we've talked about it a few times over the past few weeks and yeah. it's, that's what's at the heart of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of these pieces sort of point out how corporations are willing to spend millions of dollars, Aaron, millions of dollars, millions. right? Yeah. Um, fighting against unions and and labor organizing. Um, Aurelia Glass in her piece said this about corporations, quote, workers who want to form a union in the United States today face myriad obstacles. Federal labor law is broken, given union busting corporations outsized power to squash organizing campaigns, legally or illegally, since consequences are so minimal that many corporations treat them just as a cost of doing business. Right. So that's a fascinating piece. Like the idea of spending millions of dollars is just the cost of doing business so that this can't happen. Um, She then goes on sort of later in that same paragraph, I think, to say this. While firing organizers is illegal, many corporations do it anyway, since the worst penalty under federal law is offering that worker their job back uh, plus back pay. Data from 2016 and 2017 show that employers were charged with illegally firing workers in nearly one-fifth of union elections. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to me, the, the 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 big things that stick out to me are just this idea that it's the cost of doing business and, and sort of corporations are okay with that, right? Um, and for me, it's like, it makes it so clear why this idea, you know, this this reality of corporate greed has to be fought against and fought against at every possible level, right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, you said the cost of doing business. Yeah. And I think that's such a important factor here because they see it as um, a money-saving expense because they'll spend extra money right now that they wouldn't yes. spend normally. But down the road, they won't have their thought processes. We won't have the union to have to negotiate and we'll be able to keep more of the profits. Absolutely. Uh, And, you know, a a well-timed firing of a couple of key organizers can really derail Derail. the whole process because if they're putting in the work and and doing the the behind the scenes things and nobody else really knows how to, and then they no longer have access to those people because they don't work there anymore. Right. And all they have to do is give them back pay. Um, you know, they've they've stalled out the process. Yes. Uh and probably scared other people. That yeah, that's a big piece uh, and, of it too, right? Yeah. Um and that uh, you know, is a huge deterrent. And the worst thing is they're they're just gonna pay that person what they're gonna pay them anyway. Right. right. Like there's there's no that's no added cost to them in the long run. Hundred yeah. percent. So um 
yeah, it's just uh, fascinating the, the perspective that, yeah. they, that they have on that. Um, and, you know, we talk about benefits uh, to joining union. One of them is higher wages. Yes. Uh, wages on average for all workers is 11.3% higher. Um, but it's even higher for Latinx and black workers. Yeah. Um, I think it was like 16 and 18% higher, like yep. uh, respectively. So that right there is a real reason to encourage union membership. And given those numbers and the differences between sort of racial groups, uh, it seems that unions could over time contribute to narrowing the racial wealth gap, which would be yes. super powerful. Over time. Over time. It would take a long Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Um, at least a pay gap, right? That that it does exist. Yes. Uh, and unions give people economic advantages that are incredibly difficult to gain when you're having to negotiate with your employer alone. Kind of like I mentioned a few minutes ago. Right. Uh, and so, a collective group bargaining for the collective rights of that group is is much more powerful. And another f- factor of compensation here is, um, you know, benefits beyond pay. Right. Uh, and which union members typically have more of right um, on average so the center for american progress article says quote all unionized workers ages 18 to 34 were 37.9 percent more likely than non-union workers to have health insurance through their employer and 89.8 percent more likely to have a retirement plan and these increases were even larger for young hispanic and asian workers that's huge yes um Having health insurance um, means that you're way less likely to go bankrupt if you get sick. Right. Um, having a retirement plan means that you get to retire, One which day. is, yes. uh, you know, nice to think about. Right. Um, <laughs> they're hugely beneficial things that employees need from their employers that many folks just aren't getting right now. Uh, as much, but you're more likely to get them if you are unionized. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about this idea of healthcare being this thing that you don't have to then go into debt for if you get sick. I mean, it's just this, it's this level of security mm-hmm. that I can take care of myself and my family should something arise. And that in itself is just this huge sort of weight off of people's shoulders and right. and and sort of right that folks should have, retirement being another, I think. And so all of this sort of, to me, everything you just talked about, right, and the racial wealth gap over time, what that could do, mm-hmm. the idea of economic stability and security, right, yeah. sort of is at the heart of all of that. And that's huge to me, right? Like, yeah, especially in, our, in the economic system we have that sets up people who yes. are winners and people who are losers. That's it. Um, and it's inherent to the system. So having that security in that system is um, huge. And, you know, everybody needs to have that security. Um, Everybody deserves to have that level of security, right? I think that's the piece for me, right? So this idea of this economic stability and security is is huge and, um, you know, allows people to have sort of and live have have and live a dignified life, right? Which we've talked about um, a lot here on the show. And I think that should be the case for any worker in this country, no matter what industry they're in, no matter what kind of work you do, right? And so for unions to help lead to increased wages for employees and better benefits and guaranteed job security for folks, I think that's massive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think the the connection to all of this back to Gen Z, which mm-hmm. I th- think is a big part of this and a big part of these these pieces, particularly the the Axios one, is you know Gen Z support of unions, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can we can see why, given all of this, that sort of Gen Z's 
support of unions is sort of off the charts here. They are experiencing a lot of anxiety around whether or not they'll have enough or or sort of true economic security throughout their careers, right? This idea of social security, like, will that be a thing yeah. <laughs> that Gen Zers see? Um you know, and to support their retirement? Uh, we don't know, really. And so the the successes that unions have been able to achieve, I think you sort of make the case to me that th- it's worth continuing to sort of uh, expand upon. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that sort of um, anxiety around economic stability for Gen Z is is derived from crises they've seen happen over, in their lifetime. Again. Uh, yes. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of Gen Z folks were young kids when like the 2008 economic crisis hit and yes. probably saw that happen uh, yes. or that impact people that they knew. Absolutely. Well, if, if it wasn't them it directly, it impact people. Yes. Um, and then, you know, COVID uh, and the, the pandemic uh, economic crisis that, yes. that happened too. And I think that uh, you see those things happen over and over again. You want more guarantees mm-hmm. um, and uh, a little bit less sort of risk. Right. Um, so you want to find ways to mitigate that. And so I think it makes total sense. And I think it's one of the reasons why um, we have to rethink all of this stuff is like the way that we individualize things means that the, that person takes on the risk versus a, a whole collective of who can sort of recover more easily right. uh, when you're part of a larger group. Absolutely. Um, and you, you know, can stand together and say, yeah. this is what we want. Yeah. We and so continuing this this track, you know, unions, it's a lot easier said than done to start one. Of course. Uh, there are a ton of obstacles, which both articles highlight. Uh, the Center for American Progress article mentions that companies can force employees to attend meetings, uh, which then... In those meetings, they include threats about closing down the company locations or firing organizers, which you mentioned before. Uh, And the Axios piece mentioned a study from 2019 that showed that companies spent $340 million on consultants who would help them avoid unionization in their workforce. Right. So another cost of doing business. Yes. There's a lot of organizing happening on the corporate side to try to prevent unions from even being able to begin that conversation. and. There's a lot of stories in the news about the Amazon workers who unionized and the resistance that Amazon put up to that. So there, there are all these stories that we have about how corporations don't like unions. And then we have these numbers like $340 million on consultants. Yeah. And so um, it's very clear that they're resistant to these things. And I think that means it's um, a good sign for us to move forward with them. Hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad you pulled that Axios piece and those numbers because I think for it's one thing to think about, you know, the cost of doing business being maybe we'll fire employees or give them back pay or, you know, and all of that, the cost that way. But for companies to be spending in 2019 340 million on consultants, yeah. right, to do some of this work too. I mean, it is, you know, th- the millions of dollars being spent by corporations, mm-hmm. right? It's just mind-boggling to me. So mm-hmm. um, I'm glad you you pulled that piece. Um, all right, well, let's shift here. This feels like a good spot to transition our conversation over to application. How this conversation, how the content from these amazing pieces can sort of serve us in our everyday lives. Um, I think one thing these pieces highlight for me is the power and influence that Gen Z is having and is going to continue to have 
moving yes, forward. And, yeah. I, and I kind of love that. Gen Z is a large part of our workforce right now that's only going to continue to grow, right? And so mm -hmm. their outlook on work, their sensibilities, their demands for what is and is not acceptable in terms of work and the workplace and our employers um, is going to push us and, and our society sort of and, and the nature of work in a direction that I think will overall be a really good thing, especially mm -hmm. as it relates to some of the things that unions are trying to achieve, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I think that's a big application from all of this. And um, the importance of sort of listening to this generation and, and fighting the good fight with them in terms of labor organizing and worker rights, I think is going to be really huge and can, it's going to make a big difference in terms of, um, you know, our, our work lives, which mm -hmm. as we know, impacts our lives. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, that's great application. My my application here connects uh, back to the challenges we all face when trying to unionize. Yeah. Um, so the, the Supreme Court decision uh, oh, that yeah. was mentioned in the article um, where unions can't um, make dues, unions can't make dues automatic. Ah. Um, and so the Supreme Court struck that down a few years back. Um, So-called right to work laws, which I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, mm -hmm. And then corporations deciding to just get fined for violating the law because they see that as a cheaper way to go. Um, unions help us look help us look out for ourselves yeah. uh, and our needs in the workplace where the government and private industry fail. Um, and sometimes they're failing on purpose. Right? Absolutely. Uh, so getting organized with your fellow workers changes the way your employers have to interact with you. Uh, and as we said before, wages and benefits um, also increase. There are real tangible benefits to this. Uh, and so it's worth figuring out how to fight back against all those things. And I think structurally there has to be a lot of organizing done broadly across the board on state levels, on the sort of federal level uh, to figure out how to counteract these things that throw up barriers to right. unionizing. Absolutely. Yeah. Tangible benefits to this, I think, is huge. Absolutely. That's great. Um, all right. On to homework. What do we want to mm -hmm. do to continue our learning when we leave this table today? Um, one of the pieces, or, or maybe both of them, reference the AFL-CIO, which mm -hmm. is one of the biggest unions in the country. They sort of refer to themselves as a democratic voluntary federation of, I looked this up, 60 national and international labor unions, and they represent over 12 million working people. So mm -hmm. that's insane. That's huge. And so I, you know, I've heard of them, but I have never done any sort of deep dive into sort of this, them as an organization and what they do and um, the impacts that they've had, the the wins that they've had. And so I want to learn more about uh, the AFL-CIO and, and their efforts. The other thing I want to do is, is put my money where my mouth is and, and look into the union where we work. And actually mm -hmm. just this weekend, I got an email from the union um, yeah. saying, you know, here's some victories we've had over the past year. We noticed you're, you're an eligible member, but you're not a member, right? You know, and so uh, I'm excited this week to carve out some time to sort of read through that email, see what the process is of joining our union where mm -hmm. we work um, and sort of, you know, see how I can get involved. So, and I think we're at a place where, 
you know, you talk about sort of how scary it could be to start a union at your place of employment. Um, you know, we're at a place where I think our union is <laughs> secure, it yeah. has, has made tangible wins for many years. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I recognize and want to own that there's a sense of security that I have potentially joining our union, whereas other folks might not have that. Right. Uh, but yeah. I, I want to put my money where my mouth is and, and yeah. do that. So, okay. yeah. Great. How about you? Yeah. So one of the articles, I forget which, um, mentioned Protecting the Right to Organize Act, which is a proposed act. So I want to learn more about that. It's got three specific aims to empower the right for workers to organize. Um, So that's uh, the the main sort of overarching goal. Um, But they want to hold employers accountable for violating labor laws, securing free, fair, and safe union elections, uh, and, um, you know, again, empowering the right for workers to organize and finding out how we can make that sort of a a stated right for workers uh, in this country. And so I think my my homework is around learning more about that proposal, um, which is floating around somewhere in the House, I believe. Okay. Uh, And so... Just learn a little bit more about that and, and how it will impact things on a broader level and maybe counteract some of those things I talked about in application. Well, and you mentioned this idea of right, we have to also be – some of this work has to be done at the federal level as well. Right? Yeah. And so, um, I, yeah, I'm excited for you to check up on this and mm-hmm. report back what you've learned about it. That would be great. Yeah. Um, all right, my friend. You're up next time. What yes. do you bring to the table in our next episode? Well – Hammer and Hope just released a new issue this week. Yes. So I'm bringing an article from that, which is called Our Green Transition May Leave Black People Behind. It's written by Rihanna Gunn-Wright. She's one of the architects of the Green New Deal and directs the climate policy program at the Roosevelt Institute. And the tagline for the article is, quote, I'm an architect of the Green New Deal, and I'm worried the racism in the biggest climate law endangers our ability to get off fossil fuels. Wow. Uh, so I think it's going to be a really interesting read. I'm excited to to sort of learn learn her uh, analysis of this situation and, and look at the ways that um, sort of race and white supremacy intersect with, um, you know, trying to um, get us off of fossil fuels, trying to find ways towards environmental justice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, we, I think we reposted this on our story. We are such fans of Hammer and Hope and the work that mm-hmm. they do. We're so excited that they've got a new issue out. Um, and yeah, I've always enjoyed our conversations about sort of the intersections of, of uh, racism, white supremacy, environmental justice, right? We've had yeah. a couple of those. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm so excited that you've brought this piece. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Very good. Be good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. I'm talking to you folks listening to us. Thank you so much. Not anyone else in the room, because again, there's no one here. Uh, You know what we want you to do, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with everyone you know, follow us on the socials, check us out on YouTube and TikTok, uh, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week.